and unsurpassed Good morning. Good morning. As uh, Gary said yesterday, there's there's a lot of things to think about uh, just in getting set up here. But uh, uh, I'm uh, hope they're all working now. So it's a beautiful late spring day here in Berkeley. Uh, I hope it's nice wherever you are. Uh, it was very hot here yesterday. And uh, is the weather is supposed to be like that again today? Cooler. Cooler. Cooler is cooler. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and like to get the immediate news out, uh, I don't know if any of you watched the Warriors game last night. Uh, some of you, yes. It's a wonderful game. Uh, and the Warriors came from behind and won. Uh, and Stephen Curry scored 43 points. And it's it's inspiring just to see, see the level of uh, skill and physicality and uh, uh, just the these games, these players are so good that you know the dynamic shifts between them uh, so quickly. You know, a team is behind, another team has a run. Somebody is somebody has a hot hand that one night, and somebody else who's really excellent. Uh, can't score, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I enjoy watching it. I hope you can respect the diversity of our community. You mean those who watch basketball and those who don't watch basketball? No, I'm a Celtics fan. <laughs> I'm a Celtics fan myself. Oh, that diversity. <laughs> That's fine. Okay, I can, I can respect that. Oh, actually, Usually, my inclination is to root for whoever is losing. Now, uh, Celtics looked very good through like the first three quarters. You watched it. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. Right. <laughs> I can understand why. Uh, but it was a make or break game. And now we've got another, is there just another one? There's three. It's a seven. It's a seven-game series. Wow, that takes so much out of these out of these people. It's really amazing. That's not what I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> so uh, let's just take a breath and collect ourselves again.
I've been thinking about Sojin Roshi uh, as his uh, funeral is approaching next week. Uh, and it's been really wonderful to be in the position of contacting all of his all of his disciples, the formal ones uh, and the ones both here and uh, online who uh, may not have had gotten worn certain robes, but were clearly his disciples. And I don't, I don't make a lot of distinction about that. And this, uh, the preparations for his memorial, which will be next Saturday here, and then the larger funeral on Sunday has been an opportunity to be in touch with a lot of people which uh, who have uh, known and practiced with Sojourn Roshi for intimately for years, and uh, many of whom we have also practiced with for years. Um, I think I'm coming in contact with uh, sort of another round of grief uh, and perhaps some anxiety, particularly uh, relating to the the scale of the event, which is actually pretty large and complex. But I think that the anxiety has another layer, which is very close to the grief uh, of uh, once again, coming to acknowledge that my teacher, our teacher is not here. See, here comes Sweet Pea. So, um, you know, I, I've mentioned it before. I've had uh, <clears throat> number of uh, dreams about Sojin over the last year and a half. And I, I had one last night it's not surprising, although he just, he played a sort of cameo role. In it. Uh, he was, he was there and I can't recall what the circumstances, actually the, the lead role was played by Steve Stuckey. Uh, and also Jack Van Allen. Some of you remember Jack and it's like, there they were. Uh, all of them, they were alive. And in the dream, I was thinking, wait, this is not actually the circumstance. But yet, there they were. And I was walking through the streets of San Francisco with them, and then walking over the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, and I don't remember more detail about that. And I'm not sure what the particular relevance of it is. But uh, alive or dead, very alive in these dreams. 
And I think that, I suspect that this is true for others of you. And I think we honor the life. We honor the life at the funeral. We honor the life that we've experienced in this realm. And in our dreams, we honor the life that continues within us. And it's a, that's a wonderful thing, even though it's not always comfortable. So we, we had the fortune to absorb for so many years, Sojin's formal and informal teaching. His own informal teaching was just how he moved, how he sat, how he practiced uh, day after day. And the formal teaching was in, uh, in his talks, in Dokusan, in classes, and you know we we have this treasure trove of recordings. Uh, they're about they're more than two thousand recordings of uh, of Sojin uh, of his lectures and, and classes, and uh, they've all been digitized at this point. Uh, but uh, they're sort of you can listen to them, which is wonderful. Uh, I don't tend to absorb material a lot that way. Uh, I like to read, uh, but quite a number of them, a, a small, no, I'm sorry, a small number of them have been uh, transcribed. And there's a vast task, which some point, I think in the coming year, we're gonna crowdsource to anyone who wants to you know, since these lectures have been digitized, we can we can farm them out for transcription to uh, to people in the Sangha, right? And I hope people will will help with that project. It's very it's very rich. And we also have uh, the book that he was working on with uh, Ron and Kika, and then Raghav. Uh, is now at the publisher and we're waiting to hear how uh jack shoemaker the publisher wants to further edit it uh but it's been it's it's submitted it's out of our hands at, at last uh and i'm gonna i want to read you i want to read and comment on some sections from uh that's that struck me in the last couple of days as I've been just thinking about Sojin, trying to hold him in mind and hold his practices in mind. Uh, and I, I hope you'll, excuse me, I'm gonna jump around uh, the, uh, the lectures have their own rhythm and flow and, uh, the ones that I've, I'm kind of exerting here, uh, you'll have opportunity uh, within the foreseeable future to, to read the whole thing. Uh, and it's just a remarkable 
once you read them, for me, for reading them is just a, uh, a remarkable uh, view of the, the depth of his understanding of his practice and uh, you know in many ways uh, to read them is is really to refresh myself uh, because you know many of there are many lectures that I heard and all of us heard here in the Zendo and uh, whatever state of mind I was in when I heard them, some of which was a sleepy state of mind. Uh, I couldn't remember everything, but when you see it on the page, you see what wonderful coherence and articulation of particularly our style of practices, the style of Soto practice that we, we learned from Sojin who learned from Shinryu Suzuki, his teacher. So I'm going to jump around and uh, in these, one of the, the first uh, lecture that I'm looking at here is uh, entitled, Why Do You Practice? And he says, sometimes I am asked, why do you practice? There are a variety of possible responses. When Dogen returned from China, he was asked what he brought back to Japan. He said that all he had learned was that his eyes were horizontal and his nose vertical. Um, there's some question about whether he actually even said that, but it's pretty good. You know, it's like if you have that straight that your uh, that your uh, eyes are horizontal and your nose is vertical, then well, you know something basic, right? Um, I really resonate with this, the next paragraph, uh, because it's, it's true for me. When I said, this is so true, when I sat down the first time for Zazen, I knew I was home. I was like the prodigal son in the Lotus Sutra, which we just read, who had stumbled into the doorway of his father's house. This is not an uncommon experience for a Zen student. I had found Zazen and a teacher whose practice was patience and sincerity. He said that those who have the most difficult time and persevere, no matter what obstacles they meet in the way, in the end can become very good students. They can become teachers. Um, and this is so much the, the experience that I had here, you know, coming, walking into, walking onto the grounds uh, for the first time, Russell, Russell Street particularly, uh, and just feeling when I walked in and when I sat down, I was home. And you know, I had been looking for a home. Sojin had been looking for a home. You know, he had the vibrancy of the art scene that he was involved in. Uh, he uh, was a, a kind of 
he was a student, he studied Kabbalah on his own, and he was looking, he was seeking something. He was seeking a home. And when he walked into uh, Sokochi on Bush Street, the old Sokochi, uh, and he met Suzuki Roshi, and they bowed to each other, he was home. This is the most fortunate circumstance that any of us can have. Again, I'm sure that many of you had that experience right away. Some of you may have really had to explore a bit, check it out, which is also important. But this feeling of home is like, ah. And then you have a place from which to function. This is the place. The grounds are the place. And then we take that with us out into the world. Someone asked me what my teacher was like. Well, he was very gentle and kind, and at the same time, at the same time, very firm and strict. Uh, one of his students, Daijaku Kinst, uh, describes Sojin as a teddy bear with claws. <laughs> you know, and when you first encounter him, basically, you kind of just meet the teddy bear. Uh, and it's wonderful, and it feels comfortable, soft, furry. Uh, that was a first impression many people had. And then when you got closer, you had to be attentive to the claws. <laughs> they could they could grab you and pierce and uh, in a good way, but not always in a comfortable way. And sometimes I'll say in a wounding way for some people, some people that wasn't a fit. Um, So one could describe, he says, someone asked me my teacher was like, he was very gentle and kind, and at the same time, very firm and strict. One could say that of Sojin. He was saying that of Suzuki Roshi. During Zazen, he would say, don't move. And once he said, don't chicken out. <laughs> so we liked it when he used our colloquialisms. Uh, don't move was often, don't move is not something in a lot of places when you're in this endo, uh, someone from the front seat will say, don't move in a very, in just that kind of tone louder. Uh, I remember uh, being with one of my oldest friends at, uh, at Zen Mountain Monastery at Mount Tremper. And he had never sat Zazen before. You know, he was like 55, you know, with a 55-year-old body. And Zazen was painful. And he moved. And somebody yelled at him like that from the front seat. And in my mind, I said, I just thought, I'm out of here. 
I'm not coming back here. Uh, uh, I was there for the weekend teaching, actually, so I didn't leave. But uh, turns out he was fine with it, you know, which is interesting. But that's not our style. Don't move is a condition of our life. When you're having difficulties, don't move. But what I feel is the unspoken part of that is the word now. Don't move now. Within this reality that you're experiencing, this difficulty you're experiencing, try to live with it. Try to take it in and not move, not squirm away. So many periods of zazen that I sat with excruciating legs, uh, particularly early on. And I just, I did my best not to move, knowing that the period was going to end and we were going to do kitchen or we were going to get up. There was going to be a time to move. So if I could just do it now and not chicken out. And so I tried to do that. And sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I moved. But what I did find on moving is that once I started moving my legs, you know, just the shift position, there was no end to it. You know, make one shift and it's like, okay, you get, you get some relief for about three minutes and then the pain returns in, in yet another set of angles. So better just to find a way to live with it, endure it, uh, and make sure, always check that by not moving, you're not endangering yourself or you're not harming yourself. Sojin says, we had to come face to face with our difficulties and through our own effort, find the way through. And there was no escape. This is the, an example of his Suzuki Roshi's compassion and strictness. He knew how to push and ease off when to hold firmly, when to let loose. He never stopped encouraging us, and he never gave up on anyone. I think this is really important. Uh, for me, this is embodied in kind of uh, the North Star precept that I try to maintain, which is, uh, I will not abandon you. I will not give up on someone. Even if it means, it might mean taking a large step back. It might mean letting them so-called fail on their own, but not to remove some element of attention and care for that person. And I think, again, Sojin Roshi saw this in his teacher, 
And I think many of us saw this in Sojourn. Uh -huh. He never made a judgment as to who was the best horse and who was the worst. For him, the worst horse in the long run might actually be the best horse or already was. Sometimes the one who is having the hardest time and practicing wholeheartedly and unselfconsciously is actually stimulating the practice without knowing it. There's a section, the next paragraph is a section that uh, we didn't always see or recognize in, in Sojourn, but he knew it of himself. In my early years of practice, I had a very hard time. I feel that I have experienced most of the difficulties that everyone does. The pain, the frustration, sitting through emotional problems, mental stress, and so on. I was never suspicious of the practice, but have rather looked at my own shortcomings as practice opportunities. When we can offer ourselves to practice wholeheartedly, together with all our defilements, together with all of our shortcomings and weaknesses and pains, the Dharma can do its work of transformation. Why wait? I think I practice for the sake of practice. In Soto Zen, a teacher is like a farmer, carefully raising his or her crops. Through steady, constant practice, we cultivate the ground, maturing the wonderful variety of flowers and enjoy, and enjoy helping them to mature and bloom, each one singular and beautiful. When I give a talk, he says, actually, I thrive on encouraging others. When I give a talk, I mostly want to encourage people. This is the practice of Jijuyuzamai, the joy of fulfillment in our offering to everyone. Jijuyuzamai um, should do a, a talk on that sometime, uh, is self-fulfilling, self-actualizing samadhi that was really important to Sojin as, a, as an essential teaching. So we'll go into more in detail another time. The joy of fulfillment and offering, our, offering and our offering to everyone. When we give in this way, unselfishly and without a motive, we are one with the ring of the way. I often think a Zen student is like that ice plant on a cliff facing the ocean. The wind blows, the sun beats down, the ocean mists and storms, and the ice plant simply weathers it all. What a life. That's his words. Could be your words too. My old teacher once said to me with a smile when I was having a really difficult time, if you find something more difficult, you should do it. 
I think the default story that I remember is uh, Sojin coming to Suzuki Roshi with with uh, difficulty and complaint, and Suzuki Roshi saying, "Oh, isn't this practice hard enough for you?" <laughs> Such compassionate encouragement has kept me on track for a long time. I want to skip to another talk, uh, take a few minutes on this. Uh, it's a very rich talk. Uh, it's uh, an unpacking of nonsense, ordinary mind is the way, which is uh, case 19 in the gateless gate. Uh, Joshua asked Nansen, Nansen, what is the way? And Nansen said, ordinary mind is the way. Joshua said, shall I seek after it? And Nansen said, if you try for it, you will become separated for, from it. Uh, uh, Sojin says, I like to use the word stumble past. If you try, if you try for it, you will stumble past it. You stumble past the enlightenment that is right under your feet. Uh, so that's the context. I found something interesting, and I think it's relevant to what our uh, present day circumstances. Uh, first of all, he says, what is the way? The way is to always be in samadhi. So there's the samadhi of sitting still. There's the samadhi of work. The samadhi of moving around. When we sit in zazen, we enter the samadhi of stillness. But actually, zazen is called great dynamic activity. We tend to think that zazen is passivity, but actually zazen is activity. We're getting to try that out this week uh -huh. and to prove it for ourselves. Every part of your body mind is totally present in zazen if you sit correctly. There's nothing left out. So whole body and mind is in harmonious dynamic activity sitting up straight, breathing, letting breathing breathe. You don't breathe, breathing breathes. The universe is breathing me. From mo in a moment, you might simply feel that, just a miraculous feeling. Uh -huh. And ordinarily, you might not. But it's the truth. Isogen says, if you think about it, how could it not be? The blood runs through the body. You or yourself does not have anything to do with it. We're cosmic beings. 
Samadhi is allowing ourselves to be moved without restriction by the cosmos. We're cosmic dust. Because of this, causes and conditions, uh, because of this causes the because of these causes and conditions of this earth, we appear as people, as animals, plants, and stuff. So to be in harmony with universal activity, which is called our body. Skip ahead, he says, our practice is the practice of great patience. If we want something too much, this is what spoils our practice. It comes up in all of us. This wanting too much comes up in all of us. He says, when I started to practice at, Z at Berkeley Zen Center, I decided that Zazen was what I was doing. Every day I would sit Zazen. If somebody wanted to sit with me, that was wonderful. Nobody came, okay. Feeling good, feeling bad, liking it, not liking it, doesn't matter. If we have a flourishing Zen center, that's great. If it falls apart, okay. And I think he really did feel that, uh, although he made his effort to hold it together. But I just remember uh, how it was when, when the uh, pandemic arrived. Uh, Sojin was very freely and comfortably able to just let it go. Let go of all the of all the forms and and practices that we've been doing for 50 years and just saying, okay, it's a really new circumstance here. We have to just go with it and do something else. We did. He says, we don't like our practice to be complicated, but the more people we have, the more complicated it gets. How do we keep our practice simple in the midst of all these complications? So this is, this is kind of the, the game we're playing with our practice in our world. Compared to some places, our practice is very simple. You go to you go to San Francisco Zen Center or other monasteries. You know, it's like it's kind of more like high church. Uh, but compared to other places, our practice is very formal. And people come here and they say, "Oh, all this bowing and not knowing when to do, and you put this out, and you put that out, and uh, it's like this is too much for me," uh, which I can understand. It's like, but if you have the ability to enter it, then you'll find some other wealth or treasure. It's interesting because right now, what we are doing is we are rebuilding our practice. Uh, this is the first time in two and a half years that we've had a group of us sitting solidly for five days. This is reintroducing the forms that we experienced and believe in and love. And, and piece by piece, uh, 
my effort is to reintroduce the practice that I've been doing for years that we learned from Sojourn. And I'm moving slowly and carefully. Uh, so that the, and for some people, um, some people it's too slow. Some people it's too fast. Some people fear that something has been lost. I actually don't think anything has been lost. I don't think there's much that, that I've forgotten that I learned, but I'm trying to, with, with the Sangha, trying to determine what the right pace is. And, you know, it's kind of an, it's an averaging thing. You know, it's like too loose for some people, too tight for other people, sort of trying to go right down the middle. Uh, and Sojin was really trying to be careful to maintain a sense of basis and, and simplicity in our practice. And it's also true that just, I think as some of us who've been here for a long time can see, it's gotten more complicated over the years. And now just to say, one set of complications, we have a whole new set of complications. And that's not so easy, but we're working through it. We're working through it, I think, because we have faith in the practice. And because we want to offer the practice widely. And during the pandemic, we've seen new ways of offering the practice. And my feeling during the pandemic is that we've reaffirmed our Sangha in some really remarkable ways. Uh, and maybe that's something that would not have happened quite that way if the pandemic hadn't happened. Really, some simple things which have become kind of implicit forms. So the implicit form at the end of our uh, at the end of our uh, zazen uh, of just or the end of a, a practice day of just saying hello to each other online. You know, that's really different than walking out on the porch and you know not acknowledging each other. It's and it's uh, different than sort of bowing to Sojourn or bowing to me. It's actually, it's actually all of us reaching out to all of us. That's a wonderful new practice. So Sojourn says, our lives will get more complicated. How can we keep our practice simple? How do we meet? Where do we meet? Well, we're meeting here right now. We're meeting, this is day four of our meeting. We're meeting each other. The Shuso is meeting us and we're meeting him. And we will continue. So I'm going to stop there and uh, leave time for some 
questions or comments? Lisa. A very touching talk. Thank you. Welcome. I have been experiencing what it's like to be in person for the first time in many years with this beautiful Zendo, this warm, intimate space, and all of the sangha. Even if those of us who aren't here are here, I'm feeling it strongly. It's major. All I can say is give it a try because this is really, um, I feel like it's safe. It's respecting the conditions that we're facing. We're keeping each other safe and we're practicing. So thanks for all the work that must have gone into this. <laughs> Thank everybody for all the work. There's a lot of work. Um, just to say, because you've sort of given me the opportunity, uh, I'd really like to encourage uh, people to uh, come to the Zendo. Uh, you know, uh, come for morning zazen and come on Saturdays uh, and uh, bring yourselves back to this to this space. Uh, it's it's very rich. So thank you, uh, Mary. Uh, thank you for the reminiscencing about Sojin, and I wanted to add a little reminiscence. Um, this week I've been thinking a lot, or remembering a lot about how he did Kinhin, and how... How he did... Kinhin. Kinhin. And he would um, plant a step and then become completely still. And then step in between each step there was a stillness, sort of embodied stillness and activity. Yeah, that thank you. That that is pretty common soto practice of Kinyan. Uh, to take to take that step and then to rest in that stillness for a moment and then take the next the next half step. Uh, yeah, there, there's various ways of doing walking meditation. You know, at the at the monastery where where Nampo practice like every morning, uh, at the first at the first before the first period of Zazen, you would do Kinyin that was halfway between uh, fast walking and running, uh, you know, to get your energy up. But this is, you know, we settle down. It's it's kind of moving zazen. Thank you. Now I see their hands up, but I'm not seeing who they are. Um, Kahi Andrea. Okay, good. Good morning, Hosan, and thank you for your talk. Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, as you were talking, I I like the way that you used Sojin's words and you looked at like how we are now. That back and forth really helped me. But I've been sitting with the question of why do I practice? And as you were talking, I thought about BZC. I've come back to the Zendo a little bit, but being in that space in the morning, it's nothing like nothing like it. 
I, I'm on Zoom, but there's nothing like being in a Zendo. But um, I think that, you know, when I think about practice, as simple as it is, it shows you yourself. So every time I sit on my Zafu, I face myself, whatever it is. And that facing myself has helped me face life. Um, I'm in a, a, I'm on a job that I've been on now for 12 years at one place. For some people, that's nothing. For me, when I started practicing, I could never stay anywhere for long because as soon as something was uncomfortable, I would leave. And I still have a, a habit of leaving. I've, I've left behind lots of people, relationships, all kinds of things. But this practice always reminds me, hey, Kahi, hey, Andrea, where, where are you going? Who are you leaving? Are you leaving yourself? That's always the question. So thanks. Thank you. That's what don't move means, you know, to uh, to really face yourself and then you decide whether to move or not. Uh, but you really have to do the hard work of facing yourself. So thank you for, for sharing that. I see a hand from EJI. Is that correct? Did I pronounce it correct? Good morning. Yes, this is EJI. Where are you? Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You know, on the same note of uh, moving, um, I've been practicing in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh for about 20 years, and I, I enjoy coming to the Zendo here because it's so close to where I live and have had the opportunity to meet and, and participate in a number of activities and classes. Mm -hmm. um, as an African-American man, it is so difficult to live in this culture. And uh, a culture, I'm talking about the larger culture, but it's also difficult to live in, um, in, in, in say, for example, uh, I, walked, I walked in the Zendo, I walked on, on the property once and someone walked up to me and says, do you know where you are? Mm. And you know, those kind of microaggressions really are very annoying. And, um, you know, the things that are happening in the society to black people in uh, Buffalo and the entire process uh, of what happened in January 6th was really about white supremacy. And, uh, and it's a real challenge, you know, to deal with white privilege, white, white supremacy, to deal with issues related to implicit bias. You know, it's unintentional bias. And we live here in Berkeley, you know, uh, you know, right across the street from, um, you know, right across the street from the flea market kind of thing. And it's just such a di dichotomous experience as a black man. And I've moved around from different, you know, I'll be at <clears throat> different Zendos or whatever, because, you know, it does get uncomfortable. And, you know, people look at you like, what are you doing here? I was born and raised Roman Catholic. I can still walk into a Catholic church. People look like, you're a black man. What are you doing here? Thank you so much for your presentation. I just wanted to share my, my experience. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate you being willing to, to take the chance to actually say that. And it, it saddens me that you had this experience. And also I understand that this is, uh, this is part of the a condition of our society which we are not immune to, although we would like to be in the Zendo. Uh, and we're 
we are studying and, and working on this, but we're going to screw up uh, anyway, despite our best intentions. So I really, um, I would welcome you and appreciate you. And uh, just what one thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, I've been playing music from Louisiana for a long time, Cajun music. And I had the opportunity to play with uh, uh, some black and with black and Creole musicians a lot. And one of the things we, we played, we played Catholic church dances very regularly in the early 80s. And it was, it was really amazing. Uh, you could feel the faith, you could feel the energy, and you could feel the, you know, the love and the music. So uh, yeah, it, it's, I hope that that's something that you will experience and feel here, even though our music is usually confined to one note that goes flat. <laughs> so, thank you. I absolutely need to let you know that I was born and raised Roman Catholic, and um, I have a broad perspective on a lot of different things. Um, but I know that um, I go to other places, and um, for example, the <clears throat> um, with the Quakers, and people will say, you know, well, black people they do a certain kind of music or they do a certain kind of this. And Roman, Roman Catholicism is very, I, in fact, I lived in a Benedictine monastery. Mm -hmm. So I am not immune and I'm not, uh, I'm not foreign to the spiritual life in any way, shape or form. And it is not, I didn't grow up in the Baptist uh, church, although I love that experience, but I don't wanna be um, trapped into this idea, but because we're black, we we do different music or whatever. I as I said, I lived in a monastery. So, but I thank you so much. Thank you for letting me say that. Thank you. Thank you. We have time for a few more. I see. Oh, Stephanie. Thank you, Hosan. I wanted to thank you for your talk, especially in preparation for Sojin's um, funeral. It helped me to remember um, all the many of the things I remember about him. Um, I want to make a, um, a comment about uh, your use of the word endurance. Um, last endurance. Oh, yes. Last week you um, spoke about it. And I was thinking about that um, all week, actually. And I talked about it with some of the clients I'm, I'm seeing. And today you talked about in, or uh, Sojin talked about endurance from the perspective of it's both um, kind of tolerating pain, enduring pain and hardship, if you will. And at the same time, uh, it's in having the strength, the conviction, the commitment to endure something over time. And I appreciate actually both of those um, uh, definitions. I looked it up in the dictionary before I spoke so I could be a little clearer about if it's actually defined that way. So I think endurance is a really important part of our practice. 
as far as um, inspiring people to sit with discomfort. And I think I appreciate and um, grateful that you brought it forward again today in the context of Sojin's practice. Thank you. Thank you. You know, there's a, um, a person who was very important in the, in the prison movement uh, who was sort of Buddhist, Hindu, et cetera. His name was Bo Lazov. And Bo Lazov had this expression that I think is what I understand as endurance. He, the expression he would do, and he would say this to people in very, very difficult uh, circumstances, like, you can do this. Mm. Yeah. You can do this. And when we face our death, you know, it's like, I can't do this. But actually, even that, you can do it. And we have the model of so many who have, but it's not resignation. It's not, it's not just, it's not just giving in, it's actually meeting it with something. It's that's, this is spiritual activity. So, anyone here? Just maybe one more. Karen, you've got the last word. <laughs> I was going to bring up what Mary said about Sojin's kinheading, but in terms of alive or dead, every, you know, this is my first uh, Sashin in several years, and I'm just seeing him at every kinheading today and the other day. Um, he's there. And I've never seen anyone do him like he does. <laughs> we try. <laughs> well, you know, he's a guy that really had his feet on the ground. Uh, he, he really did. You know, he embodied, uh, he embodied the physical presence of the physical activity of practice in a in a remarkable and completely ordinary way in the sense to me that ordinary is uh not ordinary ordinary the meaning of the word is like everything in the proper order and uh nothing extra and i do think that's that's the character. That's what we we were so lucky to have that example. You know, not someone who put on airs or, you know, he, he was quite happy wearing this patrobe monk, which pat, patrobe robe, patched robe. Uh, that's what I meant. Um, and yet the practice was precious to him, as it is to us. So thank you all very much. And uh, we will continue today, tomorrow, and then day by day in our practice. Meetings are numberless. I vow to awaken with them. Delusions are inexhaustible. 